Uh, well, friends, uh, when you know that you are in the final moments, it makes all the difference. When you know that you are in the final moments, it makes all the difference. Uh, I mean, think about a, a football match, for example. You know, the clock is winding down. You're a few points behind. Knowing that you are in the final moments means that you start to throw everything at your opponents. Uh, or think about exams. Uh, some of us uh, have children uh, who uh, have been doing the HSC this year. Um, Liz is uh, nodding her head. And uh, I'm guessing you spent a lot of this year telling your children not to waste their time playing uh, video games in these final precious moments, but to use that time wisely. Uh, or think about your life. If you know that you are in the final moments of your life, how would you use that time, do you think? Uh, I'm guessing that we will live differently. Now is not the time to waste on the trivial. Now is the time for things that matter. Perhaps relationships, our family, God. You see, knowing that you are in the final moments makes all the difference, doesn't it? Uh, well, friends, uh, we've been looking at the book of 1 John for the last little while, and uh, last week I suggested to you that uh, 1 John is actually broken up into two parts. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, if you have your Bibles uh, there in front of you, you can have a look at uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Uh, we saw last week that uh, John gives us a little poem that summarizes the letter. Uh, before this poem is part one of the letter, and uh, after this poem is part two. And uh, I want you to notice that in our passage today that begins part two of this letter, John tells us that it is the final moment. Uh, have a look at chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour. In other words, this is the final moment before Jesus returns. Uh, soon, God will blow the whistle on this world and Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. We are living in the final moments. Uh, it seems a little bit strange to uh, describe the time that we live in in this way, doesn't it? Uh, because when John writes this letter, it was actually uh, about 2,000 years ago. And so if it's the final hour, uh, it's a fairly long final hour, isn't it? But uh, when John speaks about the last hour here, uh, he's actually not being literal. He's talking about the entire period of time between the first coming of Jesus uh, and his death and resurrection and when he will come again at the end of human history to judge the living and the dead. That is the final hour, and we are now living in the final moments. Everything that God uh, wants to say to the world, he has said in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. The invitation is now there for all to turn back to this uh, Jesus who died and rose again. And all that is left for God to do now is to blow the whistle 
on human history and to bring the world to account before the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friends, how are we to live in this final hour? How is it that you and I are to live in this final moment of human history? Well, the first thing uh, you'll notice that John says in our passage uh, is the way that we live is not to love the world. Uh, You can see it there in verse 15, can't you? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Uh, now, notice uh, a, couple of, uh, a few things here. Uh, firstly, uh, when John mentions the word world uh, in this passage, uh, he's talking about everything that is opposed to God. Uh, everything that is opposed to God. He's talking about behaviour that is opposed to God. He's talking about values that are opposed to God. He's talking about ways of thinking that are not God's ways of thinking about this world and our lives. In other words, he's not saying that we cannot love anything in this world because the created world is evil. Uh, if you remember, God created the world, and after he created the, and as he was creating the world, what did he say? He said that it was good. And so we can rightly enjoy things in this world that God has given if it is received in thanksgiving. And uh, friends, uh, some of us need to hear this because uh, I know that there are some Christians who always feel a slight sense of guilt whenever they enjoy things in this world. But what John is saying here is that we shouldn't love sinful behaviour and sinful ways of thinking that are out of sync with what God wills for us. And uh, you can see that this is the case because in verse 16, if you have a look at verse 16, uh, can you see there that John speaks about desires? Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, uh, pride of life. Uh, He's actually talking here about desires that have have gone wrong in our lives. Uh, You know, there are right desires, aren't there? Uh, If I'm hungry, for example, it's right to desire food. Uh, It's just that sometimes I can start to think that life is all about food and restaurants and my stomach rather than serving God. If I'm married, it's, it's right to desire my spouse. But it's just that sometimes my sexual desires can take over and I can begin to express these these desires in a way that ignores what God says about the right way to express sexual desire. If I am tired, it's right and proper to rest. But it's just that sometimes I I can think that life is all about resting and travel and experiencing the world. In other words, friends, John is talking about here 
the danger of idolatry, the danger of putting other things above God and desiring other things in the place of God the Creator. Uh, Secondly, notice that you cannot love God and love the world at the same time. Uh, You cannot love God and love the world at the same time. Uh, Notice that in the second half of verse 15, John says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, When I was uh, dating my wife, um, I've got to say, everything else became a distant second. Um, On our date nights, uh, if my friends called me up to ask me whether I could see them, uh, the answer was no. (laughs) Uh, There there were more important things on this particular night, and uh, I could not see them. Um, My family, uh, no chance of seeing me. My studies, uh, not a chance. Uh, Other women... Uh, It was never going to happen uh, anyway, but uh, no chance. Uh, I I mean, imagine if I came to the date with Hewan walking hand in hand with another woman. Uh, It would just be unthinkable, wouldn't it? It's not that I don't love my friends or my family or even other uh, women in my life, but I said no to these other things in order to properly express my love for my fiancé. Friends, I think one of the great dangers of middle-class Christianity, and uh, I'm here talking about us uh, in the majority, is that we can tend to say yes to everything in this world and we can try to sort of squeeze in God somehow in, around the edges. Is that true? We say yes to everything in this world, and we find that we don't have any room for God, and we kind of try to squeeze in, him in somehow into the edges. Rather than saying no to other things and making space for God to be uh, the centerpiece of our lives, well, we sometimes try to two-time God. And I want you to hear very clearly what God is saying to us in this passage. He says, you cannot love God and love the world at the same time. If anyone uh, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, What are the things, friends, that constantly get in the way of you and I serving God wholeheartedly. Uh, It'll be different for uh, each of us, but what are those things that we constantly say yes to, but which keep on taking us away from a wholehearted love and service towards God? I think one of the ways we can know whether something has become an idol is when we just cannot say no to them. And so we just keep on saying yes to those things and no to God. Uh, Now, thirdly, uh, why is this such an important thing? Uh, Well, it's because the world is temporary, notice, while God is eternal. 
The world is temporary, while God is eternal. You can see it there in verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, the one who loves the world will pass away with the world at the judgment seat of Christ. But the one who loves God will be the one who will live forever. Uh, Now, friends, uh, I wonder whether you've tasted uh, salted chocolate before. Has anyone tasted salted chocolate before? Um, There's a few of us. Um, I I was given a bar of salted chocolate uh, not not too long ago by a generous friend. And uh, I must admit, when I first got uh, the bar of chocolate, uh, I wondered whether salt and chocolate could ever go together. Uh, It just doesn't seem like two things that will ever go together. But uh, when you put it in your mouth, uh, actually, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's the most brilliant combination. And uh, I want to suggest to you this morning that reading 1 John can sometimes feel a little bit like that. And so, uh, for example, we've seen John uh, in these opening verses talking about the world. And then if you glance down in your Bibles, you'll, you'll see that he goes on to talk about antichrists. And you kind of wonder, well, what do those two things have in common? (laughs) Uh, How do they go together, Uh, the world and Antichrist? It kind of uh, feels a little bit like salt and chocolate when you first hear about it. Uh, But I think what John is doing here is he's actually trying to describe uh, the Christian life in the midst of a world that is set in opposition to God. He's trying to describe what the Christian life will look like in the midst of a a world that is opposed to God. And uh, you'll notice that one of the things that uh, characterise the Christian life is the presence of false teachers. The presence of false teachers. And uh, I want to draw your attention to to three things in this passage. Uh, In your outlines, you've got those three points. uh, Circumstance, character, and uh, consequence. Uh, Firstly, notice that John tells us of the circumstance in which the church he is writing to find themselves. Uh, False teachers have arisen in this church. They have left the church, and they are causing considerable uh, confusion in this church. Uh, You can see it there in verse 19. Verse 19 says... Uh, They went out from us, but they were not of of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Notice that these false teachers have not only left the church, but they've actually broken fellowship with the apostles. Uh, They have abandoned the apostles and their teaching. Notice that John does not say that they went out from the church, but what does he say? He says they went out from us. They went out not only from the church, but also they have abandoned John and the rest of the apostles, you see. They've broken fellowship. Uh, Secondly, did you notice the character of these false teachers? Uh, They are the ones who disagree with the apostles' teaching 
that Jesus is the Christ. They are the ones who disagree with the apostles' teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Christ, uh, if you're wondering, is just another word for Messiah uh, or God's anointed king and saviour. And you can see uh, that uh, this is what the false teachers were denying in verse 22. Verse 22 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In other words, friends, the Antichrist is not necessarily somebody who is going to come, uh, come across our path in a red suit and uh, horns and a pitchfork, but anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is the Antichrist. Uh, anti just means against or opposed to, doesn't it? Uh, my children are anti-vegetables. Uh, I am anti-going to the dentist. My wife tells me that she is anti-camping. Uh, no clean toilets, that sort of thing. Uh, these people are anti-Christ. They are opposed to Christ. But who is this Christ? Well, friends, John has been showing us, if we've been listening carefully, who this Christ is uh, all along in this letter. Uh, he is the risen Christ who has risen bodily from the dead, says John. That's the Christ whom the apostles have heard with their ears and seen with their eyes and touched with their hands in chapter 1, verse 1. Further, he is the one who turns away God's anger from us. Uh, Friends, we are the ones who deserved God's anger and judgment because of our sinfulness and rebellion, and yet in his love God sent his Son into this world to die on the cross to pay the price for my sin and your sin, and to turn away God's anger from us. In chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. And further, uh, as we heard this morning, uh, he is the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God, even as he is fully man. Uh, Is this the Christ that you and I know? Uh, It's not hard to think of people who claim to be Christian but who deny this Christ that John speaks about. Um, In Australia, you might remember the name Peter Carnley. Uh, Has anyone heard of Peter Carnley before? Just throw your hand up. A few few people. Uh, Peter Carnley was uh, the leader of the Anglican Church in Australia between the year 2000 and 2005. Uh, He caused great controversy when he wrote a book that denied that Jesus had physically risen from the dead. Uh, For Carnley, uh, the resurrection of Jesus was just a metaphor uh, for Jesus living on spiritually in the memories of his disciples. Jesus didn't come back bodily from the dead said the leader of the Anglican Church in Australia. Or, uh, I'm not sure whether you've heard the name Steve Chalk before. 
Uh, Steve Chalk is a Baptist minister in England. Uh, he was considered a Bible-believing Christian. And don't get me wrong, um, some of these people do wonderful work. Um, Steve Chalk actually does some wonderful work uh, through one of the charities that he's set up, uh, feeding uh, many, many homeless people uh, in the area where he ministers. But in 2003, he suggested that the idea of Jesus bearing the sins of the world and turning away the Father's anger was what he described as divine or cosmic child abuse. The idea of a father being angry at his son. He said he could not believe in a God who would pour out his anger on his son in our place. That's a denial of the Christ, isn't it? That John speaks about. Or think about the Jehovah's Witnesses and numerous other sects who teach that Jesus is not divine. He is not the divine Son of God, they say. Uh, now, there are obvious differences here between some of these people. Uh, some have left the church and they've started something completely new, like the Jehovah's Witnesses. But others continue to remain in the church and continue to teach things that are anti-Christ. Which is more of a pain, because at least with the, the sex, you know that they are something separate to Orthodox Christianity. But I also want you to see the similarity between these people. All of these false teachers are the ones who at one time belong to Bible-believing churches, but who are now uh, teaching things that are anti-Christ. They have departed from the apostles' teaching that Jesus is the Christ and the King of this world. Now, uh, what are the consequences for false teachers and those who deny Jesus uh, along with them? Uh, well, you can see there that the consequences are serious and they are devastating. For once you deny the Christ, you do not have a right relationship with the Father. And once you do not have a relationship with the Father, you do not have eternal life. Denying the Christ has eternal consequences. Have a look with me at verse 23. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Uh, now, some of you might be asking yourself, uh, what relevance does all this talk about false teachers uh, have to, to my life? Uh, I mean, I go to a, uh, a good Bible-believing church. Uh, my ministers all have degrees from Moore College. They've all been ordained. Uh, I'm sure that we won't be deceived by false teaching. But friends, uh, let me remind you that many of the false teachers that I've just mentioned by name, which is only just a drop in the ocean, have been part of good Bible-believing churches. 
Many of them have PhDs in theology. Some of them have been ordained and stand before their congregations in long robes, deceiving their listeners week after week. You see, none of these things guarantees the truth, do they? Uh, I've been in full-time ordained ministry for six years now, and uh, uh, at least for me, roughly every second year of my time in full-time ministry, I've seen someone from our congregations being swept away by false teaching. Uh, Some of you might know who I'm talking about. Uh, All these people are lovely, intelligent people. Some of them were even what you might call leaders in our church. But you see, if truth does not matter to us, if we are not reminding each other of the truth and correcting one another of untruth, then we will see more and more like them. Now, don't let that be you, friends. Do not be deceived. Uh, well, finally, uh, how can we remain in the truth then? How can we remain in the truth? Well, uh, if you are a Christian person, uh, you remain in the truth because God has anointed you and I with the Holy Spirit who teaches us truth, who reveals the truth about Jesus to us. Uh, You can see it there in verse 20, can't you? Have a look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no no lie is of the truth. Uh, Or come down with me to verse 26. Verse 26 I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. In other words, friends, the only reason why you and I have come to understand the truth if we belong to Christ is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's because God has given me his spirit and that the Holy Spirit has been at work in my life that I can see Jesus clearly. It's because the Holy Spirit has shown me the truth that Jesus is the Christ who has come in love to die for me on the cross that I can turn around and submit to him my life. It's because the Holy Spirit abides in me now that I can see Jesus more and more clearly through the Scriptures. And that's why John says in verse 27 that you have no need for anyone to teach you. He's not saying here that therefore you don't need teachers like me or the growth group leaders or uh, the other people who teach in our church. It's saying that when you became a Christian... It is the Holy Spirit who taught you the truth. And so you don't need these other teachers, these false teachers who are trying to teach you something else, you see. You don't need those sort of teachers. 
my wife and I have uh, people visiting our house uh, regularly um, these days, and uh, often they come at night, and uh, they ring the doorbell, and you can't actually see them clearly because it, it's dark. Uh, they're just this black silhouette that you know is at your doorstep. Uh, it's quite frightening sometimes. Um, you, you can't make out their features. You're just kind of squinting uh, to, to work out who they are. But when we turn the light on, ah, suddenly it's all clear, isn't it? It's Robert Evangelista. He's not, he's not scary after all. Uh, the light that is switched on makes things clear. And you see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The work of the Holy Spirit is to shine a light on the person and work of Jesus so that you and I can see him clearly as the Christ. Friends, do you know the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is the Spirit teaching you that Jesus is the Christ and you're growing to love him and know know him uh, more and more in your life as you read the scriptures? But friends, that that doesn't mean that we do not have any responsibility to know the truth, does it? For what John keeps on saying to this church is that they are to allow this truth to continue to abide in their lives. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What does it mean to abide? Well, it's a word that John uses frequently in this letter, and literally it means to remain uh, or stay or stick close to someone. How how do we stick close to the truth? Uh, Well, in John's letter, we stick close to the truth not just by being uh, filled in in our heads with the truth, but by living out the truth. And you can see it there in verse 17. It is whoever does the will of God, whoever walks with Christ, obeys the things that Christ says that will abide forever. Are you and I abiding in the truth? Are we working hard to understand the truth about Jesus in the Bible? It's hard to know God's will for us if we are not reading our Bibles, friends. Or, or growing in our knowledge of the scriptures. In fact, it's quite likely that those who do not read the Bible and are growing in it are people who are not walking in God's will. But not only that, are we working hard to do the things that we read in the Bible? For that's what it means to abide in Christ, doesn't it? To have a relationship of trust with the Lord Jesus Christ, so that when we hear his word, we walk with him, we obey him, we gladly live for him. And that's what it means to live in these final moments. We are living in the last hour, says John. As soon, God will blow the whistle on human history and Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. And the best way that we can prepare ourselves for that great day is by continuing to abide in Christ. Friends, let's be the ones who do abide in Jesus.
as we wait for his return. Let's pray.